This special episode of New Retina Radio is supported by Genentech, which is responsible for its content. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the development of an innovative drug delivery system for treating neovascular AMD. Our guests today are two retinal physicians that have truly changed the way we think and do things in our field. First, we have Dr. Tony Adamus. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John, for the too kind introduction. Great to be with you. Absolutely. And Dr. Damus, I would tell you, you are the um, you're the Gene Dewan of anti-VEGF therapy, and that gives me great pleasure to introduce the Tony Adamus of surgical retina, someone who I've looked up to for 25 years, uh, Dr. Gene Dewan. Gene, welcome to the uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John, and uh, happy to be here. It's especially so- with Tony. Well, let's start a little bit, though, talking uh, about your careers and following your careers. Tony, I'd like to start with you. Kind of give us a walk through your history. How did you end up where you're at? I spent 12 years at Genentech. Uh, and I got to tell you, when I started out my career in ophthalmology, never thought I would work in the industry. But you know, all of us who are physicians are problem solvers. And I very much enjoyed uh, research and the problems that it uh, posed and how we could potentially solve those problems to help patients. So when I was uh, starting my academic career and we discovered um, what VEGF could do in eye disease, and this was with Napoleon Ferrara, who was a young scientist at the time at Genentech, who actually discovered VEGF, characterized it, and cloned the gene, I called him up. And we did the initial experiments, and over the course of a decade, with a group of people I was working with at Harvard, Joan Miller and, and Lloyd Aiello and others, um, it became clear VEGF was a great target. Uh, but you can't develop drugs in academia. Uh, you can't, you don't have the resources and the scale to do it. So I had to jump over to industry, first to iTech and then, and then later to Genentech, Roche, and Tony, certainly your role in the development of, of VEGF and VEGF inhibition uh, actually has just been so instrumental in everything that we do. Did you have any idea um, that it would be so important in eye diseases? No, you don't know. Um, you know, we did the initial animal experiments. It worked really well. Uh, the early patients we treated, there were clear signs of bioactivity. But no, we didn't know the impact it would have. Uh, was it a difficult transition to leave academia and go into industry? Yeah, I loved seeing patients. Um, I loved everything that I was doing as a practicing ophthalmologist. But I also was hooked by the, the impact one could have. By that, I mean the scale. So treating patients as a, as a clinician, it's a one-on-one enterprise. But if we got our science right in industry, um, the drugs that we developed could affect many more patients. So for me, that was always a great motivator. Gene, I'd love to move on to you. You know, for everything that Tony's done in the medical world, you've really kind of done an equivalent amount in the surgical world. Tell me how you got started. I'm from Mobile, Alabama. My father's ophthalmologist and, uh, you know, so I, I, I thought the greatest thing in the world would be uh, being a doctor and, and being a private practice ophthalmologist. I didn't have a 
a vision for more. Uh, my dad's way early on said, uh, you know, what I was trying to say, where I wanted to be a scientist, always loved science, I'd be, be a doctor. He said, well, you know, a doctor can do the same thing as a scientist, except the doctor gets paid more. So at 12, uh, I decided I'd be a doctor. And uh, so just kind of fast forward, and I remember in medical school, he said, you ought to work with this guy named Mockamer, who was uh, – uh, and so before I knew I wanted to, where I wanted to go for ophthalmology, I knew I wanted to work with this guy named Mockamer. And, and I ended up being able to at Duke and, you know, learn from him how to kind of innovate uh, around surgical things. I mean, fluid gas exchange and crazy things, laser. You know, he uh, and, a, and a bunch of people were there. So... Kind of like Tony, you know, being at the at the uh, mecca for uh, neovascularization and understanding of that biology and all those wonderful people uh, up there, you know, being with Mockamer was for really innovative. Then I moved to back to Hopkins. I trained at Hopkins and uh, went back to Hopkins and started the Mad Lab. And uh, there was this guy. Peter Capuchero, who uh, was more on the biology side than the instrument side, and said, you know, we need some better ways of uh, delivering drugs to the, to the back of the eye. And I said, okay, we can, we can do that. And uh, so we just kind of thought about it, and very early on that was one of the first kind of first concepts of how to get drugs to the back of the eyes. So I, I certainly am proud of it. And proud of, you know, proud of working with Tony and Janetta. And speaking of that relationship with Tony, do you all each remember the first time you met? And and what was what was that like? Tony, you want to go, or you want me to go? It's a long time ago. We were kind of old, so it's hard to, you know. Yeah, you know, Gene, I got to tell you the truth. I don't remember when I first met you, but I remember reading your stuff. And just being amazed by the just the out of the box ideas you were coming up with, um, you know, yeah, I was always uh, very uh, respectful of, of Tony. I think we really have, you know, huge mutual respect, and uh, I think that 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 was uh, a key piece of us being able to work together. From that moment, we can't remember when it was. But from that time, we, 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 I knew, and I, and I think even Tony knew that we wanted to work together. Yeah, I think that's true. So, Gene, question for you. Are you a surgeon that became an inventor or an inventor that really became a surgeon? I, I don't know really how to answer that. But it, um, I, was, I, I wanted to be famous. I looked in, the, looked in the World Book Encyclopedia. Nobody knows what that is because – Nobody needs to. We have Wikipedia. And uh, in the World Book, there was no Dewan. And I figured, you know, through the millennia that there was no single person that either did anything so bad or so good that they would get stuck into the, into the uh, World Book. And so I said, well, uh, how would I be famous? You know, and I thought, well, there are all these Spanish ophthalmologists like Castro Viejo and Aruga and, and all that. And I said, Maybe I'd make an instrument. That would be a really good way to leave 
the world a better place. And so I, I was, I was fascinated by the name, you know, the naming of instruments by the surgeon's name. And so as a resident, I, I made an Irish uh, a retractor that uh, for retina. But then, uh, you know, working with Mockamer, after three months there, he asked me to stay on as a faculty member, as a fellow, and uh, you know that that really changed my life. Gave me a view of of uh, that you, if you thought of a better way, you could make it happen. We're here today to talk about neovascular AMD. The American Society of Retina Specialists 22nd Annual Preferences and Trends Survey, or PATS survey for 2020, discussed here with their permission, found that the top two unmet needs for retina specialists are how to reduce treatment burden and ensure long-acting sustainable delivery. Additional unmet needs included developing new treatment mechanisms of action, improving efficacy, and improved safety. We are going to be talking about Susvimo and the development of a new drug delivery system for neovascular AMD. Susvimo ranibizumab injection is indicated for the treatment of patients with neovascular or wet age-related macular degeneration who have previously responded to at least two intravitreal injections of a vascular endothelial growth factor or VEGF inhibitor medication. The Sosfimo implant has been associated with a three-fold higher rate of endophthalmitis than monthly intravitreal injections of ranibizumab. Many of these events were associated with conjunctival retractions or erosions. Appropriate conjunctiva management and early detection with surgical repair of conjunctival retractions or erosions may reduce the risk of endophthalmitis. In clinical trials, 2% of patients receiving a ranibizumab implant experience at least one episode of endophthalmitis. Susvimo is an intraocular long-acting port delivery system that enables continuous delivery of ranibizumab into the vitreous. As a refillable implant, Susvimo is surgically placed in the vitreous in an outpatient surgical center, and refills are performed as an in-office procedure approximately every six months. Susvimo dispenses a customized formulation of ranibizumab over time through passive diffusion down a concentration gradient into the vitreous cavity according to Fick's law. The delivery system includes a porous metal release control element specifically designed for ranibizumab, which allows for controlled, continuous delivery of the drug over time. Now let's turn our attention to the treatment landscape and challenges of treating neovascular AMD. Tony, can you tell us a little bit about your perspectives on the evolution of the treatment landscape? Well, it's like what Gene was talking about, where he and Peter were talking early on about new ways of getting drugs to the back of the eye. We were working in Boston with the Draper Lab at MIT um, on some early ideas along the same lines. But, you know, what we saw with the phase three anti-VEGF trials was how effective frequent injections were uh, at preventing people from losing vision. But as the real world data came out, it was apparent that we were replicating those phase three results across multiple drugs. So the other piece of data that was really important was that the outcomes in the real world correlated with the number of injections. More injections you had, the better the outcomes. 
And I think the field sensed this as well. So in, in the latest ASRS PAD survey, the two things the field has called out is a reduction of treatment burden and a need for long-acting delivery. So I think everybody started to coalesce around this idea that we needed long-acting delivery to the retina. And, and that's something you know, Gene's been working on for decades, and I've been working on for decades. But it was when I saw what Gene was working on that it was kind of an aha moment. So, Gene, take us back to that that early development of Susvimo. Uh, was was it designed with anti-VEGF therapy in mind, or, or did you have a different concept when you first thought of it? Well, when we first had the idea of a reservoir, it was a general idea. It was we didn't have a drug, but later when it became you know it became obvious that the use of anti-VEGFs was going to be huge and the treatments uh, were going to be frequent, then it, the need went way up uh, for, for something that, that addressed that. And so, uh, you know, we had a general concept, but we didn't have a concept with how, how things like how stable would the would an anti-VEGF be at 37 degrees, you know, how much would you need every day leaking out? Uh, how, uh, what, what's going to prevent it from getting clogged or uh, aggregation? And, and so all of those things we began to address. And uh, we had some, we had some uh, there was a guy named Kerry Rice who came up with the, uh, the control release element, the thing that controls the, the uh, release, and that was, to me, it's very straightforward, but it was a genius uh, observation, and it really uh, made, it, made it happen. We tested both uh, to just find the lower limit of, of that, and that was uh, that really what led us the need, and then kind of a, a team of people that really knew how to, you know, Put together a tiny little reservoir, and and I, I did take credit for you know the idea of uh, you know putting it in uh, you know that it's kind of a it's got this kind of hourglass shape that kind of holds it into place without a, a suture, and so that that kind of uh, uh, thoughts came from the surgical side, but a lot of the other was just really smart engineers and scientists to to come up with something very, very simple. And, and you know, frankly, showed, when I showed it to Tony, you know, and I think that this was a, a thing that the, that the scientists might not get right off the bat, but Tony, as an operating surgeon, understood immediately how that would work and that it would be tolerable. And, and, and so that, that was... Uh, it's not easy. We're, you know, that's still, you know, nothing's ever perfect. But that's that is. Uh, Tony was able to see that, really, you know, at the very, very beginning, and it was, uh, and he he made that happen. You know, if we'd been on our own, we couldn't have made it happen. We needed the we needed the drug to deliver. If we, without the drug, we didn't. You know, it's nothing. And uh, the elegance of it is what, what really got me. It's solid state, 
about the size of a grain of rice and some planted in a parse plana. We do this. Our field has implanted devices in that space. It works based on just the drug going down its diffusion gradient and that release control element, the physics of it, fixed law, you know, the, the diffusion length of, of the of the release control element, the tortuosity of it, all those things make it tunable. So you can tune exactly how quickly it'll release based on the initial concentration. And, and Gene, were there a lot of revisions to this as it became more and more targeted towards ranibizumab and, and wet age-related macular degeneration, or was it just a few tweaks that got it up and running? The first, well, I don't know, a few tweaks, but uh, the first the first ones were uh, made kind of by by hand and by by um, machining, uh, and they were made out of uh, um, IOL material, uh, PMMA. And so we knew that that would be stable, and we had a we had different structure, and, but it it looks more or less the same. The first clinical, the the phase one, the first ones that we first did uh, look basically identical. It's a different material, and a different uh, different ways of uh, securing parts of the of the device component. And uh, but it, there were lots of iterations and lots of discussions of how to manufacture it on scale. Just to add a little context, John, this collaboration started in 2010. So you know we're filming this in 2021. In uh, in Gene had already done uh, a few patients, but working with his team, uh, we redesigned it. Uh, the materials. Uh, coming up with you know the, the the needle that allows the refilling, all that took time as well as the clinical development. You know, going and doing ladder and, and then later archway. So um, drug development, or in this case, drug device development, takes a while. Tony, you mentioned the refill needle. Gene, I want to come to you about that. Did you design the refill needle? Uh, I did not design it. I mean, there were there were, there was a group of us uh, there. Uh, Randy Campbell, Signa Signa Erickson, that uh, were involved in in that. We we were initially just flushing the the device with a, a fresh amount of, of of fluid, so we would overfill, and half would go into the eye, and half would stay in the in the device. But you know, it became clear that we need we wanted not to do that because we had a much higher concentration. So we wanted to aspirate and uh, at the same time as inject. And how much do you have to do that to to fill it precisely? The other thing about that, obviously, is that now you can measure very precisely also uh, the. <laughs> The elements that are released inside the eye also go back up into the device, and so you can actually interrogate what's going on inside the eye through this refill capture uh, thing. So it was that was uh, that was fun, and, and it it's you know it's a it's a, I think it'll end up being a very interesting uh, way that we can interrogate the eye much differently than we ever have before. 
How did we figure out the exact dosing that we use with Sesvimo? So we have we have a fantastic uh, modeling group at, at Genentech, um, and they came up with three doses that we took into phase two into the latter trial. It compared that to monthly ranibizumab and, and selected the dose that we thought had the best uh, durability and efficacy, and that's what we took forward into phase three. Um, so it was a, in that sense, it was a classic development program, dose ranging in phase two. So um, we learned a lot about the surgical procedure in addition to the dose, how to best implant this um, as safely as possible. So there were modifications to the surgical procedure. So that, along with the dose and, and the six-month interval, those were all taken forward into uh, Archway. So the primary endpoint in the Archway study was the change from baseline best corrected acuity score averaged over week 36 and week 40. Patients with Susvimo achieved visual acuity gains equivalent to monthly ranibizumab injections. And as was mentioned earlier in the podcast, Susvimo has a boxed warning regarding endophthalmitis. The Susvimo implant has been associated with a threefold higher rate of endophthalmitis than monthly intravitreal injections of ranibizumab. The most common ocular adverse reactions during the postoperative period were conjunctival hemorrhage, conjunctival hyperemia, iritis, and eye pain. So then, John, after, you know, uh, Archway was underway and was conducted uh, by all the people who were involved in this, both at Genentech and all our investigators, we were very grateful to get the final results, right? That led to the approval. Um, this was uh, an FDA approval based on the results of Archway. Uh, together with ladder before it, um, which is a randomized multi-center open-label phase three study that evaluated the safety and efficacy of SESFEMO. And, um, you know, you don't get many FDA approvals in a career, um, but when you get them, it's, uh, it's burned in your memory. Gene, obviously, you know, surgical products, be it small gauge vitrectomy or SESFEMO, obviously you're going to have some some hurdles and obstacles. How does that go from, from just thinking, aha, I've got this idea to then actually developing something? Yeah, so that's a really good question, John. You know, for, here, here is, you know, I had this idea a few years ago at Hopkins. Now I'm up in the Bay Area at Foresight with uh, a team uh, that has done a lot of development. And uh, we're working on another project, and I say, you know, we really, you know, as a retina guy, we really need this. We we just cannot uh, sustain the effort, and it's just just not the way to do it. We, re- this is, we really can do this, and we can do it. And so... I'm talking to the team, and they're all, you know, running hard, and their tongues are out, and and uh, they're busy. And so, starting something new is always a challenge. You know, it's always on top of what you're you're doing. And uh, yeah, your Alster and, and and Angela McFarland, we said, well, let's let's start. Let's just start doing this. And we started playing with the how little amount of uh, anti-VEGF we went down to Mexico and started learning that. And we realized that we could, 
you know, this is possible. And uh, we got some funding from uh, three venture groups that are typically funded us. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we just, so we had some early resources and we had some early engineering support and, and thoughts. And we, and Carrie Reich, you know, came up with this idea going to a, uh, not a medical meeting, but a kind of a supplier meeting, uh, that, that realized that this would be a good way of, of controlling it. And so it's just the pieces go together. The need, Always, it's the need that drives it, and uh, and then if if there's a if there's a need, and we think about it, we can go and try to solve that need with every resource we got. And that's that's what I really love to do, John. I mean, that's I mean, that, that kind of what you're saying is, you know, that's let's if we got a problem, let's go and fix it. And you know, this one we're absolutely dependent on Genentech. We knew that we had solved kind of the problem, but we didn't have rights to the drug. We could not have done this without Tony and the support of Genentech. And I think you just can't understand how big we could, you know, we could solve the problem, which together we have, but we couldn't have done it alone. I'm deeply appreciative not just personally, but, you know, for our, for our field and for the patients. And, and, Tony, similarly, you know, you are coming at it from the molecular side, from the anti-VEGF side. Did you know immediately this is it, or were you kind of canvassing a lot of different concepts and this just happened to be the one that worked out? So we had a bunch going in parallel. And I got to tell you, in all honesty, when I was handicapping them, there were others ahead of it. Uh, but, but you know, it just goes to show the unpredictability of it. Development is um, you have to go through it because nobody knows the answers a priori, right? It's an iterative process. There are always going to be issues and hiccups and, and near-death experiences. And we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. So I said to the team, there are device companies out there. There are you know, stents, um, there are artificial hips, there are surgeons around the world constantly being trained on new procedures. Let's learn what the best practices are there and adapt them and adopt them um, to our clinical trials that we're doing going forward. And, and we even did some uh, innovative stuff that people thought of, like, you know, the virtual reality workstations um, that help people practice before they got into the OR. So um, it was a steep learning curve for us as well. Genentech hadn't done a device like this before in ophthalmology and really in all of our therapeutic areas. Um, but it was a lot of fun. You know, steep learning curves are steep, but they're fun. As Gene said, the team, and we're just here representing a very large group of people, the team put their heads together, including some of our investigators, you know, Jay Stewart at UCSF, Giulio Bartoselli, solve major issues, Jill Hopkins. Yawen Chang would sleep in her cot in her office Monday through Friday, helping to solve issues. There's so many untold stories behind the scenes. But, you know, we are problem solvers. As I said at the beginning, as surgeons and as physicians, we have an affinity for this. And, and, uh, and we work the problem. We didn't panic. We worked the problem. 
and got through it. And, uh, you know, so we could get to the point where we are today. And it, it would it would not happen without Gene and his group. It really was a true collaboration all the way through. And, and Tony, now you've seen this from the amazing development of anti-VEGF therapy now to a way that we can have an extended release uh, of, uh, of uh, anti-VEGF therapy that can give six-month dosing. Uh, what's next for you? Retirement. But no, I'm kidding. Um, I, you know, I'm lucky I get paid to do my hobby. I, I love doing this, and I think I speak for for Gene as well. You know, um, we're in a wonderful field. It's a small, close-knit community. Um, I think of where Retina was 30 years ago and where we are today. I just want to keep doing this in some sort of uh, manner, uh, still to be determined because it's only week six of retirement. And what a way to what a way to end your career, uh, at least uh, from the from the Genentech Roche side of things, uh, with this development. And Gene, for you with Foresight, what's next? Um, we are, you know, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm really dedicated to solving these problems, the uh, big problems. We we have pro we have efforts going on and and. Uh, AMD, uh, you know, I'd love to cure that disease. You know, Tony and I have talked about that, too, in the past. And uh, uh, glaucoma, you know, RP. Uh, and so I just want to, uh, I'd really, you know, I, I talk about if I do that, then I can go to the beach, you know, and visit Tony. <laughs> It absolutely wouldn't surprise me a bit if you guys can't make that happen, in all honesty. You know, it's been such an amazing opportunity to talk to two luminaries in our field, Dr. Tony Adamus, Dr. Gene Duan. Both of you have been responsible for the development of Sesvimo. And I just want to point out, we're going to have two other podcasts talking about Sesvimo. The first is going to be perspectives on an innovative drug delivery system for neovascular AMD from training to initial experiences. And in this podcast, we're going to really discuss the experiences of two great retinal surgeons learning the surgery and refill exchange procedure for Sesvimo. In the other podcast, which is titled Exploring the Clinical Development Program for an Innovative Continuous Delivery Treatment for Neovascular AMD, we'll cover the experience of one of the investigators in the clinical trials. We really hope you'll be able to tune into these podcasts as well. And I want to thank you all for joining us. Please listen carefully to the following important safety information. Sesfimo is contraindicated in patients with ocular or periocular infections, active intraocular inflammation, or hypersensitivity to ranibizumab products or any of the excipients in Sesfimo. The Sesfimo implant and or implant-related procedures have been associated with endophthalmitis, rheumatogenous retinal detachment, implant dislocation, septum dislodgement, vitreous hemorrhage, conjunctival erosion, conjunctival retraction, and conjunctival blebs. Patients should be instructed to report any signs or symptoms that could be associated with these events without delay. In some cases, these events can present asymptomatically. The implant and the tissue overlying the implant flange should be monitored routinely following the implant insertion and refill exchange procedures to permit early medical or surgical intervention as necessary. Special precautions need to be taken when handling sosfemo components. 
In the active comparator period of controlled clinical trials, the ranibizumab implant has been associated with a threefold higher rate of endophthalmitis than monthly intravitreal injections of ranibizumab, 1.7% in the susfemo arm versus 0.5% in the intravitreal arm. When including extension phases of clinical trials, 2% or 11 of 555 of patients receiving the ranibizumab implant experienced an episode of endophthalmitis. Reports occurred between day 5 and day 853, with the median of day 173. Many, but not all, of the cases of endophthalmitis reported a preceding or concurrent conjunctival retraction or erosion event. Endophthalmitis should be treated promptly in an effort to reduce the risk of vision loss and maximize recovery. The Sosfimo dose or reflow exchange should be delayed until resolution of endophthalmitis. Patients should not have an active or suspected ocular or periocular infection or severe systemic infection at the time of any Sosfimo implant or refill procedure. Appropriate intraoperative handling followed by secure closure of the conjunctiva and tenons capsule and early detection and surgical repair of conjunctival erosions or retractions may reduce the risk of endophthalmitis. Regmatogenous retinal detachments have occurred in clinical trials of Sosfimo and may result in vision loss. Regmatogenous retinal detachments should be promptly treated with an intervention, for example, pneumatic retinopexy, vitrectomy, or laser photocoagulation. The Sosfimo dose or refill exchange should be delayed in the presence of a retinal detachment or retinal break. Careful evaluation of the retinal periphery is recommended to be performed and any suspected areas of abnormal vitreoretinal adhesion or retinal breaks should be treated before inserting the implant in the eye. In clinical trials, the device dislocated or subluxated into the vitreous cavity or extended outside the vitreous cavity into or beyond the subconjunctival space. Device dislocation requires urgent surgical intervention. Strict adherence to the scleral incision length and appropriate targeting of the pars plana during laser ablation may reduce the risk of implant dislocation. In clinical trials, a type of implant damage where the septum has dislodged into the implant body has been reported. Perform a dilated slit lamp exam and or dilated indirect ophthalmoscopy to inspect the implant in the vitreous cavity through the pupil prior to and after the refill exchange procedure to identify if septum dislodgement has occurred. Discontinue treatment with Sosfimo following septum dislodgement and consider implant removal should the benefit of the removal procedure outweigh the risk. Appropriate handling and insertion of the refill needle into the septum while avoiding any twisting and or rotation is required to minimize the risk of septum dislodgement. Vitreous hemorrhages may result in temporary vision loss. Vitrectomy may be needed in the case of non-clearing vitreous hemorrhage. In clinical trials of Sosfimo, including extension phases, vitreous hemorrhages were reported in 5.2% or 23 of 443 of patients receiving Sosfimo. The majority of these hemorrhages occurred within the first postoperative month following surgical implantation, and the majority of vitreous hemorrhages resolved spontaneously. Patients on antithrombotic medication, for example, oral anticoagulants, aspirin, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, 
may be at increased risk of vitreous hemorrhage. Antithrombotic medications are recommended to be temporarily interrupted prior to the implant insertion procedure. The sesfimo dose or refill exchange should be delayed in the event of site-threatening vitreous hemorrhage. The use of PARS plana laser ablation and scleral cauterization should be performed to reduce the risk of vitreous hemorrhage. A conjunctival erosion is a full thickness degradation or breakdown of the conjunctiva in the area of the implant flange. A conjunctival retraction is a recession or opening of the limbal and or radial peritomy. Conjunctival erosions or retractions have been associated with an increased risk of endophthalmitis, especially if the implant becomes exposed. Surgical intervention, for example, conjunctival or tenon's capsule repair, is recommended to be performed in cases of conjunctival erosion or retraction with or without exposure of the implant flange. In clinical trials of sesfimo, including extension phases, 3.6% or 16 of 443 of patients receiving sesfimo reported conjunctival erosion in 1.6% or 7 of 443 of patients receiving sesfimo reported conjunctival retraction in the study I. Appropriate intraoperative handling of the conjunctiva and tenens capsule to preserve tissue integrity and secure closure of peritomy while ensuring placement of sutures away from implant edge may reduce the risk of conjunctival erosion or retraction. The implant and the tissue overlying the implant flange should be monitored routinely following the implant insertion. A conjunctival bleb is an encapsulated elevation of the conjunctiva above the implant flange, which may be secondary to subconjunctival thickening or fluid. Conjunctival blebs may require surgical management to avoid further complications, especially if the implant septum is no longer identifiable due to the conjunctival bleb. In clinical trials of susfemo, including extension phases, 5.9% or 26 of 443 of patients receiving sesfimo reported conjunctival bleb or conjunctival filtering bleb leak in the study eye. Strict adherence to the scleral incision length, appropriate intraoperative handling of the conjunctiva and tenens capsule to preserve tissue integrity and secure closure of peritomy, and proper seeding of the refill needle during refill exchange procedures may reduce the risk of conjunctival bleb. Visual acuity was decreased by an average of four letters in the first postoperative month and an average of two letters in the second postoperative month following initial implantation of sesfimo. Minimize air bubbles within the implant reservoir as they may cause slower drug release. During the initial fill procedure, if an air bubble is present, it must be no larger than one-third of the widest diameter of the implant. If excess air is observed after initial fill, do not use the implant. During the refill exchange procedure, if excess air is present in the syringe and needle, do not use the syringe and needle. If excess air bubbles are observed after the refill exchange procedure, consider repeating the refill exchange procedure. Use caution when performing ophthalmic procedures that may cause deflection of the implant and subsequent injury. For example, B-scan ophthalmic ultrasound, scleral depression, or gonioscopy. In the neovascular AMD archway study following the sesfimo initial fill and implant insertion, refill, and implant removal, 
if necessary, procedures up to the week 40, the most common or greater than or equal to 10%, adverse reactions up to week 40 were conjunctival hemorrhage in 72%, conjunctival hyperemia in 26%, iritis in 23%, and eye pain in 10%. Females of reproductive potential should use effective contraception during treatment with Sustemo and for at least 12 months after the last dose of Sustemo. No studies on the effects of ranibizumab on fertility have been conducted, and it is not known whether ranibizumab can affect reproduction capacity. Based on the anti-VEGF mechanism of action for ranibizumab, treatment with Sustemo may pose a risk to reproductive capacity. You may report side effects to the FDA at 800-FDA-1088 or www.fda.gov backslash medwatch. You may also report side effects to Genentech at 888-835-2555. Please see additional important safety information in the full Sustemo prescribing information, including box warning.